around the world, engineers and architects, constructors and owner-operators are using Bentley software solutions to design, build and operate the infrastructure that sustains our economy and our environment, including integrated applications and services built on an open platform our solutions enable digital workflows across engineering disciplines and distributed project teams from the office to the field. And today, leverage digital twin technology to help solve the most complex of engineering challenges. Together, we are advancing infrastructure. Welcome to the latest episode of the Engineers Collective. I'm Claire Smith and I'm editor of New Civil Engineer. I'm your host for this episode, where we're going to be exploring what was learned during a major industry trial of flexible working practices by leading contractors in the UK. The pandemic has brought about a revolution in hybrid working practices for office-based workers. But for those working on site, moving tasks away from site and planning them differently was not as straightforward. During the first lockdown, many sites shut down for a few weeks, but workers soon returned with social distancing precautions in place. That could have meant back to business as usual for contractors, but it's well known that long site-based hours, often at locations many miles from home, mean that skilled workers turn away from working as contractors and either choose to work as consultants or leave the construction sector altogether. However, there were a group of businesses, BAM, Skanska and Wilmot Dixon, that used the situation as an opportunity to try to do things differently and worked with flexible working consultancy TimeWise and Build UK with the support of the Construction Industry Training Board and Barclays Life Skills to explore how that might work. The result was the Construction Pioneer Programme. The group has just published a one-year-on report and today I'm joined by TimeWise co-founder and development director Emma Stewart and Skanska project director Sean Shepherd, who is currently working for the SCS joint venture on HS2. Emma works with businesses, thought leaders, policymakers and social reformers to stimulate a fairer, flexible future of work. Her work experience spans conducting research and creating innovative programmes for change to delivering training and consultancy, both in the private and public sector. She is well known as a key opinion former, advisor and speaker on flexible work. She has contributed to numerous government task forces and reports and initiatives. Sean has been working in the construction industry for 25 years and the last 14 of those have been with Skanska. He has extensive experience of working on mega civil engineering projects in the highway structures and rail sectors. Sean is currently putting that experience into action with SCS on the Euston Approaches part of HS2. So welcome to the Engineers Collective to you both. Hi Claire. Claire. Thanks for having us. No problem. So to start us off, we're all recording remotely and we can see each other on Teams, but can you tell, where, tell me where you currently are and whether that's a normal location for you to be working and how different that perhaps was from January 2020 before the word COVID-19 became part of our everyday language. So I'll start off. I'm at home, which was a normal practice for me in late 2019 when I was editor on NC's sister title, Grand Engineering. I worked in the office two days a week and at home or on site the rest of the time. But in January 2020, when I moved on to NCE, I started to work in the office more. So two and a half years on, and I'm back to my old working pattern of two days in the office and the rest of the time at home. And for a journalist, it works really well. And for a per on a personal level, I also get to frequently walk my son to school, which is not something I could have imagined without the pandemic enforced change and my job move. But what about each of you? Sean, where are you? And is that normal for you? So hi there, Claire. Yeah, I'm actually sat in a quiet booth um, at, at, at our site offices um, in Houston. 
I do a four-day week generally. So yeah, work from home on a Wednesday, which is a quieter day, less meetings, and I can get kind of task-related um, items cleared. But during the pandemic, yeah, we, we, were, we were forced to, to work from home. Um, site still operated, but if you like support staff, um, you know, we, we, we had to work from home. But um, yeah, as you say, the pandemic forced us to explore different ways of working and, and, it, and it works for me. And I know other, other people in the team um, that that flexible approach is, is definitely proven to be fruitful and efficient. So before COVID, would you have been in the office or on site five days a week? Five days a week. Yeah, half past seven in the morning would be a start. So that's leaving at, you know, six, half past six in the morning um, and then work till half five, six and then the commute back. And that was, yeah, five, five days a week. And that was the norm. But the, the, the norm now, um, where roles permit, of course, because uh, some roles have, have to be site-based, yeah. Um, but where, where your roles permit, it's, it's efficient to have a quiet day where you can, you know, really focus without the distractions and, um, you know, get certain things cleared. Yeah, I'm finding it really useful for me personally. Brilliant. Emma, what about you? How's things changed for you? So uh, I was working flexibly before the pandemic, as you'd expect we we should do it time-wise. We have to walk the talk. Um, but I guess, Claire, I was uh, probably more in the office and I spent a lot of time uh, travelling around London, outside of London, um, having client meetings. When the pandemic hit, we obviously all decamped to work from home. We were able to do that because we've been working in a hybrid way beforehand. And now I do a blend of working from home and uh, going into our office in London Bridge. Uh, what's been brilliant for me, I have to be honest, is we do meet clients face to face, but we're able to do a lot more remotely now, which means that we've been able to work with organisations all over the UK and all over the world, in fact, in a way that we probably wouldn't have done before. Uh, today, I'm sitting at home trying to keep my teenage kids from barging in and asking for things because they're on the summer holidays. Oh, the fun of school holidays, yes. So now to set the scene for the discussion, I'm going to read out part of the foreword to the one year on report, which was written by Build UK CEO Susanna Nichols. So that report came out at the end of July. And she said, I was over the moon to read what those on the front line of construction had to say about the impact of our flexible working project were time wise. The overwhelmingly positive response demonstrates that we can make a real difference to people's lives and tackle some of the long-standing issues in our industry by providing a better work-life balance. The fact that offering more flexibility has no detrimental effect on a project's programme or budget is a real bonus. So can you tell me how the Construction Pioneer programme came about and why you both felt it was an important initiative? Emma, do you want to kick off this one? Sure. So, well, it started with a conversation between myself and Susanna, actually, from Bills UK. Uh, we shared um, a commitment and a passion to champion flexible working and we had a conversation about the fact that the construction industry wasn't really we felt embracing flexible working and yet it had a real burning platform around skills and talent shortages um, particularly in the context of retention well-being uh, issues around sort of mental health long hours and issues around gender and there was a lot of amazing work being done to address all of these but less on the structural problem which was how do we actually think about how we redesign work to enable people to work differently, better balance work and life, look after their health, et cetera, et cetera, and attract more women into the profession? 
So um, we felt there was an opportunity to do something about it. TimeWise currently works across lots of different industries and we have a, an approach that we take, which is called a pioneer programme, whereby we effectively design and pilot interventions and then share the learning. So between myself and Susanna, we convened a round table with uh, some industry leading bodies and organisations and companies and said, we feel there's an opportunity to do something about flexible working. Would you join us? And we were delighted that um, Skanska, Bum, Nuttall, Bum, Constructs and Wilmot Dixon said yes. And that's how the project started. Brilliant. Sean, what about from your perspective? Why was it so important for Skanska to get involved in this? I think uh, it's important for Skanska to um, approach these types of projects so that we are looking to create the best working environment that we can for, for, for our staff. Yeah. Um, you already mentioned, um, Emma, about staff retention, attracting, um, you know, the, the best talent and having uh, some pioneering uh, uh, approaches will, will, will help us attract the best people. Yeah. So we, we welcomed it and are really pleased with, uh, with, with, with the results. So staying with the focus on Skanska, can you tell me how extensive the trial was within the business? How many people were involved in it? How many projects were people were working on that were involved in it? And what kind of range of project sizes and sectors were you looking at with it? So the project that um, I'm involved, you know, we, we run a on-site um, trial on the SES project, HS2, yeah, and um, we we trialled it on a s- small smaller aspect uh, of the project, um, which was some kind of um, enabling works, um, civils works to construct a vehicle consolidation area. So we 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 trial we we trialled it there um, with the workforce itself, so not just um, staff, yeah, but actually. Um, our hourly paid uh, workers. So we had we we had that trial, and I, and I, I guess I'll I can come back to that in a bit more detail. But we also put in place what we called um, flex success, yeah, for for staff. So as we was building up um, the initial design and target cost, yeah, the uh, the, the the staff teams were able to um, deliver their standard 40 hours yeah but in a in a way that suited them yeah there were some core hours in the middle of the day so 10 till 3 um, and everyone was available and accessible um, during those times but outside of that time you, you know your output was delivered how how you um how you wanted it to be yeah and that was open to we 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 had a team of about four to five hundred yeah, during during that stage one, and um, as I say, that was called flex success, and uh, that worked really well. Um, some of the benefits there for the for the staff team was, you know, they could, um, you know, do do their forty hours within the first four days, if you like, and add an early finish on a Friday, or some people would do a nine day fortnight. Yeah, and that was a, a real kind of perk, if you like, to the job. But the output was still delivered. So that's that's how um, it was applied in in that a- aspect. But if I go back to the site trial, where you know we tried flexible working with hourly paid operatives, yeah, because it was great to have that benefit for staff, yeah, who were paid a salary. You know, they could work their forty hours, no problem. But where where gangs um, 
of operatives, yeah, skill, skilled labour. Um, they they were paid on an hourly basis, and it's difficult just to um, say, okay, three o'clock, I'm I'm done. Yeah, when you're part of a gang uh, doing a concrete pour. So that was a very different trial, but with huge success in 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 the same breath. Yeah, it was a collaborative effort where outputs were agreed collectively as a whole as a whole group. Um, so engineers frontline supervisors, um, agents, and the, uh, and the teams themselves would come together and agree the schedule for the week and agree, um, if you like, planned outputs. Yeah. So if, if there was a concrete pour for a certain uh, bay that needs to be poured on, on a certain day, you know, they would agree that output. And once that work was done, then, you know, people, the teams were free to, to leave early. Yeah, so they could get home, you know, in time for bath time, dinner time with the with the rest of the family, you know, get get back and have a a, a decent night's sleep. So there was huge benefits uh, to them. As I say, that trial was a slightly smaller scale, so probably a gang of say fifteen to twenty, yeah, on a, on an isolated part part of the site. But you know, program wasn't um, jeopardized. In fact. They recovered some time during during the trial, and the morale was starkly um, noticeable in terms of the improvement. Yeah, there were smiles on people's faces. The team seemed to want to go above and beyond because there was something in it in it for them. Yeah, I think people were surprised on how successful that element of the trial was, and great to be able to offer that benefit if you like to the hourly paid teams as well as the salary staff teams yeah because i think it's easy to assume this trial will perhaps focus on um, people who are more office-based when it comes to being on site so ember what sean has explained there is that similar to what some of the other partners did or their approach they took yes i mean there were a range of uh different approaches to flexible working that were trialed and i guess that's that's the critical thing there is no one size fits all solution here when it comes to enabling flexible working and you know if we go back to basics what we were looking to do was to enable teams on sites on projects to work through what do people want what kind of flexibility did workers want and then to see how they could make that happen in the context of obviously the fact that everyone is interdependent and working as a team so you know the sort of traditional assumption of flexible working is somebody comes and asks for an adjustment to their working pattern and it's considered um, by a manager in this instance it was very much informal flexibility. We weren't looking at kind of contractual changes, but we were saying, you know, what is it that you need? So if you've got, you know, a site um, that is a long distance from people, I mean, we worked in a on a project in Western Supermare where we had people commuting on a long um, for a long distance and then they were staying in border cabins. You know, for them going home early isn't necessarily going to benefit because they're away for, for, for four days a week. So what, what we looked at there when we talked to the, the gangs was the ability to have more time off in lieu, was the ability to leave early on the Friday, was the ability to think about compressed hours. Um, the work that that we did with Skanska and HS2, because we were talking, you know, we were in the middle of London, you have restrictions around start and finish times because of all the, the noise, et cetera, et cetera, in terms of the neighbourhood. That was very much about how can we think about staggered start and finish times um, for people to be able to travel in and home. And as Sean said, how can we think about more of an output task-based approach to flexibility where actually as a team, 
we think about what the nature of the tasks that we need to do, we get them done, and when they're done, we can go. Um, so there are a range of, I think the, the, the principle being, you know, flexibility means lots of different things to lots of different people. And actually what you need to start at if you're going through this sort of process is to understand what is it that your workers want and how can you facilitate that at a team level? Because fundamentally you want to, exactly as Sean said, make them feel heard, listened to, supported, engaged. And if you get all of that, you will get better performance and they will be more likely to stay. And actually one of the one of the results from the original trial was a lot of the, um, the, the people we interviewed at the end of it said, do you know what? Actually, flexibility, now I've had it, is probably more important than pay. You know, I'm not going to go on another job unless I know I can have this conversation um, with my supervisor about how I need to work. So uh, it, it's it's about trying to understand those preferences and then have committed managers who are able and equipped to navigate how to make that work as a team. And that is complex and then put it into practice. So it really sounds like a win-win. Um, I understand there were four phases to the programme that you put in place to actually look at it. Can you talk me through what those phases were and explain what you learned at each phase as well? Certainly. So so the, we call these programmes our pioneer programmes and uh, it's a change programme and the whole process can last up to around 18 months or two years. And we go through four phases. Step one is a sort of diagnostic, which is, as I was saying, it's that is about trying to understand, OK, what are the what are the barriers here to enabling flexible working and where are the opportunities that we could test? And within that diagnostic, we we get on site, we talk to teams, we talk to workers, we talk to managers, we talk to leaders within organisations to try and really get a 360 of what is the demand and why isn't it being met? Um, and often, you know, workers have a really good sense as to what will work because they might have tried it in the past. So, so we capture all that learning. And then what we try and do is then develop with our partner organisations an action plan as to how to address that and design of a pilot. So that's step one. We learned in our first phase on this project, as I said, what what construction workers wanted. We learned that there were issues around um, culture and behaviours that meant that they felt that they couldn't really ask for flexible working because they'd be seen as part valued. There was a stigma. You know, we often have um, in lots of industries the sense of sort of presenteeism, long hours culture. You know, you can't leave the site until until the supervisor leaves. So there were a lot of assumptions and perceptions and concerns around culture, which we heard. But there were also some ideas about how that could be addressed. Um, we also learned that managers, supervisors wanted to make this work, but they didn't have a roadmap and they didn't know how and they weren't really clear about what kind of flexible working options were available to them. So, um, uh, so that was phase one. Phase two was then where we effectively kind of co-designed solutions, as I said. So we work with our employer partners to say, OK, based on everything we've seen and we've heard, um, what are the what are the things that we can put in place? Um, we ended up focusing on a, a solution that looked at three different areas. One was we need to improve the culture um, and the behaviours within sites to enable people to feel they could talk about flexibility. So, you know, it's OK to say, I'd like to pick my daughter up from school today. Actually, can I can I start early and finish a bit early as well? Uh, you won't be judged. Secondly, um, we recognised we needed to provide some training to improve management capability around how to facilitate these different working patterns at a team level. Um, so what we would call kind of training around job design. And then thirdly, in terms of those conversations, we learned that actually what we needed to do was um, just test some of these different working patterns by enabling workers to work with their supervisors uh, in the way that Sean's described to try and actually just see what would work on what site and in what way. Uh, phase three was then, let's do it. 
So we ran pilots and the pilots lasted from um, between six weeks to a couple of months, depending on where we were operating. And, you know, we learned lots from the pilot. We learned that you have to be specific to the setting you're in. We learned that communication really matters, making sure that everybody knows what's happening and that they're not going to be judged and their terms and conditions aren't going to be changed because there's a lot of anxiety at the beginning amongst um, the gangs, particularly hourly paid, that if you're talking flexible working, am I going to get paid less? No, you're not. <laughs> so so we learned that we had to, to just talk, talk, talk to people and communicate really clearly what was going to happen. Um, so all of that setup and preparation is really important. Um, we also learned that um, people can be really, really creative. We learned that the construction industry, when given a roadmap, will 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 actually really kind of put one step in front of the other. And actually, we learned that, that people were really engaged and wanted to make this work. Um, interestingly, we learned that there were some ways of working that had been flexible many years ago, things like the old job and knock um, programs, which uh, were actually had gone out of favour because of some concerns around health and safety. Interestingly, we started to try and challenge some of those assumptions, which is to say, look, you know, we're in a very different world now. It is feasible to do task and output based work um, and not compromise on health and safety and not compromise on performance and quality because everybody's invested in this. And then finally, we evaluated the whole thing, um, which is our final phase. So we evaluate um, the impact critically on workers and on businesses. And it's really, really important this because if we want business change we need to show the return on investment for businesses to do to, to to invest in in flexible working change programs um and the findings will come on to talk about i'm sure but we learned that the, the program was really positive in a nutshell we were able to help workers have more input and control over how they work they were happier they felt less stigma attached and there was no compromise whatsoever to budget or time scale on all of the projects so from our perspective it was a real success and then we shared the learnings and for us at timewise it's not just about evaluating these projects, but it's about trying to codify what worked and then package that up so that we can encourage other firms um, to do this as well so we can drive wider industry change. Brilliant. Thank you, Emma. Sean, can you talk us through what your experience was of those four phases? Is there anything particularly you learned along the way? I I think um, the, the, the key parts of the phases, um, really the interesting parts for us was you know the the, the co-designing of the of the solutions, yeah. So um, Emma and her team uh, worked with uh, the team at SES to figure out the uh, the best approach, and then obviously um, the uh, the testing, uh, you know, the, the the trial itself, and the the clear and obvious uh, results of, of those trials. Um, I think there was perhaps an element of. Um, skepticism um, from some of the team. How would it actually work? Yeah, with 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 hourly paid, um, and you know, I I need to um, give Jay Pemble and Keely Goldring uh, a name drop, yeah, because they were instrumental in in, in making it work. Um, but un understanding where the uh, the key opportunities were with with designing our solution, and they were really proactive. Uh, got got the teams involved. Uh, during that testing period. And again, just to pick up on Emma's point around the fact that, you know, there was no compromise on health and safety or quality. Yeah, there was um, invested um, time and interest. There was benefits to everybody in, in, involved. So the teams were part of the plan. Yeah, they, were, they, they, they agreed the outputs. 
And in order to achieve the outputs, there was there was ownership and accountability of everything which which goes into um, the final output, which includes the the environment, the quality, the time, the uh, you know the, the cost. So everyone bought into that. It was it was fascinating really to see um, that by being part of that planning phase, the the end result was um, a, a collective success. It sounds like they were far more engaged than perhaps they would have been previously in planning and, and forecasting where work was going. Absolutely, yeah. Um, now we've we've trialled um, lean construction techniques where you know um, you you plan a an activity with the entire team, but the beneficiary was uh, the client or the contractor, yeah, in terms of achieving the program. Well, the the individuals got something in in return. Yeah, so it was we've 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 used the um, the term already, you know, the win-win situation. But it really was. So yeah, the uh, the latter uh, phases were were really um, encouraging, and um, yeah, as I say, the success not just the teams who were involved, but Jay Pemble and Keely Goldring. Yeah, hats off to them. Brilliant. It sounds like the workforce are really keen to engage and actually make a change. But what about the clients? Were they receptive to the change, or were they concerned about the output? So we're, we're really lucky that we're working with a, a forward-thinking progressive client, HS2 Limited, yeah. Um, and in order to achieve the complexity that uh, this project um, offers, yeah, we need to try something different, yeah. So the client um, are, are very much uh, keen to push any any innovation and drive industry change, yeah. So we're, we're lucky in that sense. Um, our, our challenges, however, you know, sit around the contractual, the commercial aspects to a, to a contract. So, um, in 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 our case, you know, we're it's, a, it's it's defined cost. Yeah, our 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 costs are audited, and um, it's it's defined costs. Now, for us, defined costs will be uh, linked to the biometrics and the, and and clocking in and clocking out. Yeah. So, unless we've agreed uh, up front, you know, if you like. Uh, an, uh, an output driven uh, cost or a um, a day rate yeah for the hourly paid operatives yeah that that's where i think there's more work to to be had yeah there's 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 a risk that um, there could be disallowed cost so they're the challenges going forward but as i say we're working with a, a really forward-thinking client who who would be prepared to work with us Emma, I can see you nodding away there was that similar experience with other clients or were there other clients who perhaps more skeptical for the approach I think there's a, I mean, we, again, with all the, the firms we worked with, I think that the, the relationships are really strong. Their relationships with the clients are really strong. We, t- we at TimeWise didn't really get involved in that. But I think what we've certainly heard and seen since, um, in terms of wider kind of industry conversations is there is a, there is a conversation that is needed between clients and companies on how to enable flexibility to work effectively because you know, we've, as Sean said, we've rightly got attention. We've got clients wanting and requiring for any bid that goes in for a project, demonstrable um, approaches to equality, diversity, inclusion practices, um, CSR, looking after workers, well-being, welfare, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And yet, we've also got attention, which is if you enable flexible working, does that mean you're saving costs? And if so, where does that cost saving go, and who, who benefits from it? So. So that's a, it's a sort of, it's a tension. And I think it's completely, um, 
I think it's 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 a conversation that's not necessarily been played out as, as best as it could be. And I think there's an opportunity and there's an opportunity, for instance, with the Construction Leadership Council to facilitate some of those conversations, because fundamentally, you know, what we're talking about here is is valuing work based on output and task and not necessarily based on hours worked. And, and it's about that value piece and how we measure that on these projects. Because at the end of the day, I think what the pilots have done is to prove you can facilitate flexible working without any extension to timescale or increase in budget. Obviously, implementing the, the, the programmes did cost, but once that learning's embedded, that's embedded within an organisation. I think now it's about, OK, how do we make sure that that is, can be maintained and there isn't any potential squeeze or risk to any organisations who are doing that and, or any projects that are doing that in terms of that dynamic with the client. And, you know, we all want the same thing. We want a happy, healthy workforce. We want a skilled workforce and we want to tackle some of these talent issues in terms of attraction and retention. Clients want that just as much as contractors. So I think flexible working can, can provide a solution and we just need to all agree we're on the same page on it, really. Um, and I think that's a really, really positive conversation that should be had. Definitely. So during the pilot programme, you tried a range of different working practices. So before we move on to what was successful, can you tell me what didn't work well and perhaps what you learned from that? I think um, I think some of the challenges were, and, and, and Skanska were kind of the outliers on this, but some of the challenges were around how do you engage the full subcontracted workforce in this? So how do you make this work for employed as well as hourly staff? And how do you manage that dynamic between um, along the supply chain? And I think, you know, um, for some, that was just that was the next step. And that is the next step that they are looking at. I think we we knew that we couldn't bite off more than we could chew with these initial pilots. And we had to focus on employed workforce and where we could and where we had engaged subcontractors, which Skanska did. We were able to stretch that a bit further out. So I would say. It's not that it failed, but we just didn't, we haven't gone as far down that path as, as as we would like to. And that is absolutely, I think, something that needs to be looked at in terms of how do you make this work for hourly paid staff? Because fundamentally, you know, if we want to be fair and consistent in this approach for frontline workers, then we need to include everybody. Um, and with a cost of living crisis, you know, we need to make sure that we are enabling people to maximise both their hours, but also their ways of working. Um, and then I would say, I think, um, you know, some of the other learnings were just making sure that we didn't try and impose a model on one site that wasn't going to work because of the nature of that particular site. But we were very quickly told by our colleagues and our partners on this if it wasn't going to work. And so we were able to pivot and be a bit more agile. So I think, you know, the whole purpose of these approaches is that you've got to be agile and you've got to be flexible and you've got with your flexibility and you've got to try and um, try lots of different things so that, you know, you know, a couple of things will fail, but a couple of things won't. Uh, and then you, you hold on to those. It's having those early conversations to understand perhaps where the barriers are and the obstacles so that you can perhaps work around and find a solution. Exactly. And just one other thing to say, I mean, the other thing is obviously there's a big, I think, I think Sean's right, you know, Jay and the team at Skanska, really got this they really bought into it what what works brilliantly is when you have a champion who just fundamentally believes this is the right thing to do and will make it happen but not every supervisor or site lead is like that and so I think and I'm not saying this happened in the pilots but you know, what we're seeing obviously is as naturally these ways of working roll out across these organizations that's what we found from this one year on review there will still be pockets of resistance 
And it's really, really important that we enable consistency within supervisors. And some of that is about helping those that are great at this to champion it and talk to their peers um, to sort of ch challenge some of those assumptions and, and that, that it's going to be really hard um, and everyone's going to be slackers because they're not. <laughs> so, so, you know, I think, I think that's one of the challenges still to come is, is, and that's just about organizational change and that takes time. But with the right champions internally with, within the organizations we work with, I'm, you know, I'm really confident that, that it will happen. Sean, do you have anything to add about things you found didn't work so well? I mean, I'm just going to add to Emma's point there. I mean, uh, again, Jay and Keely, um, they were great champions, yeah. And the the feedback that we got from them was that it was surprisingly successful, yeah. And the teams involved, um, after the trial ended, they were like, okay, yeah, uh, what what's going to happen now? Is is this is this the the new normal? Yeah, and um, perhaps if anything, a little bit disappointed that you know it's it's perhaps not progressed. Uh, as quickly or, or or further still, yeah. Uh, I think there was a real hunger for it once once they saw saw the benefits. Um, and not only is that the opinion of um, you know J uh, Jay and Keely, but as I say, but but the uh, but but the teams. So we just need to now continue those conversations with key suppliers, see how it can work um, with, with them, and. You know, make sure that the uh, the block is identified. You know, the commercial risks uh, that have been you know highlighted that we can just work those through. But I guess, yeah, they, they would be the things that perhaps um, haven't gone so well. I, I think our failing is probably not not cease in the moment and and keep that momentum. Yeah, uh, but it's not it's not um, forgotten about. People are, are working on it behind the scenes, but I think you know the the beneficiaries of that trial got a real flavour for um, the, how, how things can be different. They now they've got a taste for it; they don't want to go yeah, back. Ab absolutely, and they, and they keep on asking. Yeah, so we 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 just got to work it through and see how we can upscale it. Yeah, and take it from that isolated site at the um, vehicle consolidation area and apply it to. Um, another area of the job and there are some key challenges that we've got and if we can demonstrate some program benefits yeah then it's it's got to be worth a, a, a try so yeah the key is selecting the right uh, supply chain and see how we can in, embed it there rather than just a labor desk i guess that comes back to why it's so important to have this report that came out at the end of last month to give that evidence base to help stimulate the conversation so you actually get it into place we're going to come on to that a little bit later so we talked about what perhaps didn't work so well and what you learned from that. Can we look at what was successful in terms of working practices? What was the most successful approach and how you measured that success to actually demonstrate that it worked? How, how we me measured that, what was our key success is bringing the teams together. Yeah, Each day we agreed the plan. Yeah, and um, we'd agree the target. Now, not every day people, uh, the teams were able to go home because a concrete pour would, once you're committed, you've got to finish. But there were other days where we were able to uh, finish earlier. So we we agreed uh, the targets um, and once we achieved the outputs, people were free to leave early. We measured that against the baseline programme, um, you know, and for some sections of that trial, when we started, we were we were two or three weeks, um, you know, over program. Yeah, we, we we brought that back. 
Yeah, so we, we, we saved some delay. We, uh, we were able to track against a ba- baseline. That, so that was a tangible, you, you, you could measure that. Um, what you couldn't quite measure, apart from the size of the smiles on people's faces, was, was, was that morale, yeah, was that feel-good factor. Difficult to, to really measure. I guess you could have done um, a bit of a culture survey before and after, uh, potentially to get some tangible evidence. But there was just a buzz about the, um, the team, yeah, and it, it brought people together. If, if we was to do another trial, may, maybe suggest a bit of a culture survey before and after to, to try and measure that feel-good factor, yeah. What about you, Emma? Have you got anything to add on how success was measured by the trials? Well, just at a programme level, I mean, we, um, we wanted, as I said, to look at measurements around worker well-being and we wanted to also see what we could shift in terms of cultural behaviours. Um, and we did a series of interviews and we did some surveys pre and post the trials with uh, the workers involved in the project and also with the managers, um, supervisors and, and with the leadership. And, and I mean, just mirroring what Sean said, I think there's, there was a sort of a broad recognition that there was a success. Um, for me, what was really interesting were the shifts actually at a worker level. So well-being scores doubled across the board. So we asked people how able they felt that they were to take some control over their work-life balance and their well-being. And they were under 50% at the start. And we ended up at 83%. So we know we had an impact on well-being. Um, interestingly, we also know that we were able to, through the trials, reduce over-hour working. So excessive working above and beyond contracted from about a half people saying they consistently did it to around about a third. Obviously, we haven't got rid of it completely. It was COVID. There's all sorts of other things going on and, and, and constraints. But that was that was really powerful. And then I think the other thing that was really interesting, we wanted to measure how people felt about working flexibly and what the culture was like. And both in terms of, you know, half the people that we spoke to at the beginning said they felt guilty if they left a bit early or if they asked to work differently and they felt judged if they wanted to work differently, that reduced to a third. So critically, that culture that sat around people um, was starting to shift as well. So, you know, so those were the sort of, for us, it's really important to see, was this having an impact on the ground on workers? In terms of in terms of supervisors, it was very much, you know, in terms of quality of feedback, we feel more equipped, we feel capable, we feel more able to have these conversations, we feel more incentivised. And then obviously in terms of commercials, as we said, I mean, the feedback we got from the original pilots from all of the partners was there was no compromise at all, as we said, on budget or timeline. And in some cases, we've had feedback that actually they think performance and productivity has been enhanced. So, you know, so, you know, it is, as we said before, it was a bit of a win-win. And I think that's that that just is very telling. I think the challenge is how do we make this consistent every project? And as Sean said, it's that the, there's an issue here, which is, you know, people get change fatigue <laughs> and firms have been through so much through the pandemic the risk is we revert back to the way things were and we've got to really work hard to make sure that we don't do that, which is why we did this one year on review, because we wanted to show if you keep at this, it will um, it will bring dividends in the end. So before we come on to that one year review, you released an interim report in 2021. Can you tell me a bit about the recommendations you made there and whether you still stand by those or whether the perhaps the advice is perhaps different now you've done the, the one year on report? You know, as you know, particularly as we've moved out of the lockdowns to manage the pandemic, you know, you talked about things changing, perhaps things going back to what people considered the old normal again. Mm. 
I mean, we would, we still stand by the, the, the recommendations. And, you know, again, they, they've come out of a lot of our work on flexible working more broadly, not just in construction. You know, one was to make sure that if an organization is going to sustain this, it's got to be a really clear leadership vision. This has got to be led from the top. It's about shifting those cultures and behaviors. And so, you know, we were really pleased to see that leaders within the organizations are advocating for this. It's then about how you trickle it down. Um, uh, we wanted to see the firms that were doing the pilots and the other firms look at upskilling managers. Um, and again, that is just fundamental. You know, we don't train people in job design in this country. We expect our managers to manage teams that work in all sorts of different working patterns. We train them on all sorts of technology and health and safety and all sorts of other things. But we don't actually train people in how to think about the ways jobs can be designed differently. Got to make that happen if you're going to expect managers to manage teams. The, the things that we probably would be really keen to reinforce um, in terms of recommendations were how to make this fair and consistent. So as we've discussed already, there's something about if you're going to enable flexible working, a lot of the, we haven't really talked about hybrid work and we've been mainly focused on frontline work, but you know, everybody we work with and many other construction firms we've seen have, because of the pandemic, introduced hybrid working. And it's really important that we, we continue to, to maintain that and enable people to balance work and, and, and home by spending some time working from home and spending some time working in the office. And I think the other area that's starting to emerge where there's definitely a need for more focus, which is really key for us to time-wise, is once you've started to shift the way people work within your organisation, it's thinking about how you recruit with flexibility built in from day one. And, you know, when we started this project, and it's still the case, I'm afraid, construction we saw was one of the the worst industries if you want a flexible job to find one in. So only around one in 10 job vacancies in construction say anything about the opportunity to work flexibly from day one. And as we've talked about, you know, the gangs that we work with on these projects, they want their next job to be a flexible job. They want that, they want that to be a given. If you're, you know, whatever job you're in, if you have caring responsibilities or health issues and you've got a way of working that's flexible, you're not going to move, you're not going to leave that job for another job unless you know you can take that flexibility with you. So one of the things we're really pushing for is for firms to think more broadly, not just about what they can do for their employees, but how they can talk about flexibility as part of their brand, as part of their recruitment practices, as a way to attract people who need flex from day one, as well as keep hold of them. So I would say all of the things we said then still stand. And obviously the areas that we think probably for further investigation still around the client conversations, around taking this out across the supply chain, and also to continue to measure the impact that this work has, because over time we think there is a really strong return on investment. Um, and, and it's important, you know, data is king. If you want something done, you want to measure it uh, to keep doing that as well. So now most people listening will think this is the program has really shifted everything in favour of the worker. But what about the projects and plans? We've touched on a little bit. What was the impact of the approach on project programmes and budgets? Did it really have no impact, as Susanna says in her foreword to the latest report? Um, well, uh, for, for, from our perspective, you know, we were told by all the firms we worked with that um, as an absolute minimum, there wasn't an impact on timeline or uh, it didn't cost more to deliver the work that was required obviously all our firms invested a bit in getting time as support to run these programs but I think going forward you know we've seen one year on that that seems to be the case and I think that's really powerful and we've worked with other firms and other clients you know who have said the same thing I think there is a 
I think there's an honest conversation to be had, which is if you want to invest in flexible working, you do have to invest in management training, in change programs, in pilots. But does a flexible working team compromise on your ability to deliver project to budget? No. Based on everything we've been told, that isn't the case. And we have to challenge that assumption. Sean, you agree with that? Yeah, I would. I mean, as I say, our, our, uh, the small trial on site, if if anything, there was cost avoidance. Yeah, there was cost savings in terms of in terms of time. Yeah, so we may not have had um, as much equipment on on hire for as long as we originally intended. We actually brought the program back um, ever so shortly. You know, so in that sense, yeah, that definitely didn't cost anything. In fact, maybe even saved in the in the long term. Um, with the hybrid working and the flexible working for staff, um, there's there's obvious cost savings. Yeah, which um, in terms of travel travel arrangements, you know, subsistence uh, in in some cases, yeah, there, there's 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 savings to be had, and I think uh, individuals. Are willing to go above and beyond when when it's called for, yeah. Because there's that there's that flexibility, and I think we've been we've been talking for you know nearly an hour now, and we've not mentioned uh, trust once, yeah. And I think that the, the trust between staff and their employees, you know, contractors and the client, and you know the site teams and um, the management teams, for this to work as well. There, there needs to be that mutual trust. And I, and I believe that th- these types of initiatives and, the, and certainly the tri- trials fostered trust. Yeah, it built, it was an enabler for, for, for trust. And with trust, you can achieve so much more. Yeah, um, re- re- really an interesting aspect of, of, of this. Yeah, I think a, a lot of this um, is, is it, the success is based around the trust. So we've used the phrase win-win quite a few times during this conversation, but it really does feel like it. So what advice would you give to people listening to put into practice what you've learned? What would be the best thing that they could go away and do today? I think Emma said earlier on, you know, we've got to have early conversations um, with key project influencers, uh, the client and um, the key supply chain, and think about how, how it can work, yeah, and just work through the blockers, because there, there will be some challenges, yeah, um, and challenges that you know so, sometimes aren't necessarily considered. But try and get them on the table, talk, talk, talk them through. But don't don't give up just because it gets a little bit difficult. Yeah, this this is worth pursuing. Um, I, I I believe, but it's going to take some time. Yeah, um, I think we need to think differently to keep the construction industry uh, pro- progressing. Yeah, and um, achieve great, greater things. Yeah, and flexible working is um, an additional benefit that should be open to all. Yeah. Thank you, Emma. Well, Emma, what would your advice be to people listening? What one thing should they go away and do after listening to this? I would say go and talk to your people and uh, and find out how they want to work and then react to it. Because, as Sean said, fundamentally, you know, we need to. It, as future fit firms be investing in how we design work in the same way we invest in technology and we invest in all other forms of sort of capabilities and you know read the report because actually the one year on report shows 
there are commercial gains to, to, to firms as well as benefits to individuals. You know, all of our firms have had a reduction in sickness absence, which is bucking the trend in the industry. And I think that in itself, if you, um, if you escalated that up, um, it's hundreds of thousands of pounds. And so the return on investment is there, but find out what the, what the, the, um, what the appetite for this is. Uh, read our first report. We've got a 10 point plan in it and then, um, try something and see what happens. Brilliant. What do you think the widespread adoption of the Construction Pioneer Programme could unlock for the industry in the longer term? Could you have finally found the key to solving the skills crisis, do you think? I think it's part of it, Claire. I think there's lots of things that will solve the skills crisis. But, you know, we've lost about half a million people from the labour market in the last year. Many of them are older workers who are just fine. They're burnt out and they're finding work too hard. Um, we've lost a lot of women, you know, you know, we've lost people who also have health issues, long-term health conditions. If we think about flexibility, we haven't talked about part-time, for example, but if you think about flexible working, you know, it's a way to bring people back um, and it's a way to keep hold of people whilst we continue to invest in training for new entrants to the industry. Let's try and keep hold of the really great experience talent we've got and also enable them to um, to have a, a, a better work-life balance and, and better job satisfaction. So, you know, I think, I think it can have, it, we can keep hold of skills and we need to be looking upstream to how we can adapt the ways that we work as well as try to look at training programs to bring new people in um, in order to keep that talent. And Sean, do you think that it will attract people into the industry who perhaps previously would never think about going, in, going into contracting? I, I think it will. And you mentioned earlier on, um, Emma, I think it's only one in 10 jobs currently advertised with uh, flexible working yeah, during the recruitment phase. And I know for certain, um, you know, during during our recruitment uh, process, we advertise uh, flex, flexible working, hybrid working. And, you know, we make a point um, at our interviews to explain exactly what that is. And it's interesting the, the response that, that you get. Yeah, um, from uh, the candidates, you know, they're, they're, they're really surprised, you know, a welcoming surprise. When I speak to um, friends outside of the construction sector and, um, you know, as you do, you talk about what, what we're doing in terms of flexible working. And again, they're blown away by um, the, 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 the approach. Um, so I, I really do believe that it, it can attract uh, the, the talent that the industry uh, needs and most importantly, retain it. Yeah, but we've got to continue to, to work um, hard in, in, in delivering what, what, we, what we preach. Yeah, we've, we've got to really uh, walk the talk. Um, and that takes persistence, that takes, that takes hard work. Um, and the work that Emma and her team has done re really helps um, provide the evidence to, to, to keep going. Brilliant. Thanks very much. That's just about all we've got time for today. So thank you, Sean. You keep going with that. I think you've got a great ethic there, a great idea. And Emma, thank you for bringing this to the construction industry. It's amazing to sit and talk about it. If you'd like to read the report in full from TimeWise, please go to the link in the episode description to access the document in full. It's fascinating reading. And if more businesses adopt the approach, I believe it could help retain the talent we already have in the sector, as well as attract new skilled people into the industry who perhaps never considered a career in construction. So join us again soon for another episode of The Engineers Collective. The Engineers Collective is powered by Bentley Systems with industry leading software solutions used by professionals in organizations of all sizes for the design, construction, and operation 
of roads and bridges, rail and transit, water and wastewater, public works and utilities, buildings, campuses and industrial facilities, Bentley can help accelerate your digital transformation. To find out more, visit www.bentley.com forward slash The Engineers Collective.